Welcome to What If So What, the podcast where we ask what's possible with digital and figure out how to make it real in your business. I'm Jim Hertzfeld. And I'm Kim Chopek. We're part of Proficient's digital strategy team. And today we'll ask what if, so what, and most importantly, now what? When is the last time you had an excellent in-store retail experience? I mean, really excellent. You are authentically greeted. When you had a question about a product, the associate was able to knowledgeably answer and make recommendations you hadn't thought of. Checkout was easy and the associate perhaps even mentioned an upcoming store event you might be interested in and you really were interested. Now think about your organization. Are your frontline workers as knowledgeable and engaged as that associate? Do you know why or why they aren't? Do you know what it takes to do their jobs every day? Today, we're talking with Ron Thurston, author of the book Retail Pride and host of the podcast Retail in America, and John Gregory, Global Head of Industry for Retail at Spotify, to talk about what it means to be a frontline worker in retail today, and that cohort can be tapped for deeper and more meaningful organizational innovation. Ron and John, welcome to the show. We're so glad that you could join us today. Thank you, Kim. Really, really excited to be here. Yes, I, I feel great as well. It's very, very good, good to be here. And John, you're, you're coming back for a second time, so we're even more honored to, to talk about a deeper dive in retail. Um, as I mentioned, both John and Ron are retail veterans. But Ron, let's start with you, your background and how you came to write Retail Pride and Creative Movement that has become the Retail in America Tour. <laughs> I love the word movement. As it relates to this topic, so thank you, Kim. Yeah. Um, so yes, I am a long-time retailer. I'm from California, and I I'm actually grew up in South Lake Tahoe, which is kind of this weird place, like growing up in the Hamptons or Aspen. Like you don't really have a sense of reality. <laughs> but I had a grandfather who had started a construction company, who built like the first firehouse, the first schools, the like custom homes in oh, wow. in Tahoe, and eventually became. Um, the kind of primary construction firm for all of Safeway on the West Coast. Oh. And the, the reason it's important is because as a young teenager, I started traveling with him around the country, mostly on the West Coast, visiting construction sites. And I would watch him engage with you know all the guys on the site, could be hundreds of them. He would kind of show up as the CEO of the company, but he would know everyone's name. He would know everyone's story. He would know their family. He would ask great questions. And I would just watch and listen. And I think there was at some point the goal of me getting into construction, but I was like, Papa, I'm going to be in fashion. I'm going to, I'm going <laughs> to make a name for myself somehow. This is probably not my industry. But what I didn't really appreciate about his leadership style was how important that would become for me. And so as I went to school in San Francisco, I'd fit them and I started a fashion design career for a few years, but I really fell in love with retail because retail takes all of that joy that my grandfather was giving to his teams and reinterpreting that into customer experience and what that could really mean. And so I've spent 10 years at The Gap from sales to assistant manager, store manager, multi-store. I ran corporate visual merchandising for The Gap when it was at its peak and went on to then work for brands like West Elm. I ran Tory Birch for several years. I ran Apple stores for several years. Um, I helped launch Bonobos, moved here to New York to do that, and then ran most recently St. Laurent for North and South America and Intermix for the last 
few years, I wrote Retail Pride really because the journey toward this industry for many people is one that is very accidental. And I would hear that so often from people I'm interviewing, I'm on store visits, you know, I'm, I'm my grandfather in action now, you know, 30 right. years later, 40 years later. And you listen and you realize that this is an industry full of people who didn't really intend to be here and that their education is kind of secondary, their work experience is primary, and it becomes about the brands they work for and the leaders that they choose to work for and the companies doing great things. For me, Retail Pride then became this idea and a movement around taking pride in the fact that we work in retail that is deemed as being secondary or kind of a backup job, a backup career. And I said, no, like this industry employs one out of four people in this country. It is one of the biggest industries in the world, yet we kind of see it as not enough. And I just like, I wanted to go big and loud and say, we are important. We are proud. We're happy to be here. We love what we do and change the conversation out of this is a backup gig until I get my real job which I've heard on many occasions. And I'm like, but you've been doing this for 20 years. Like, this is your career. And say, take ownership in this. Be intentional about your career. Be intentional about what you do. And from there, magic happens. It's almost like a, a mind shift of how you show up and say, you know what? This is my career. I love this. This is what I'm going to do. And then you, because it's so self-taught, you start managing expectations differently. And I just, I can't get enough of it. I get messages every day and, and the tour will be about celebrating these people that are everywhere about the work that they do and really elevating their stories on platforms that have never been done before. Their stories really aren't being shared. I wanted to go out into the country and I'm going to live on campgrounds for a year and an Airstream and share their stories. And I think it's going to be pretty magical. Yeah, I, I think it's great. I think that evolution or that mind shift change that you're talking about is so important from a customer because how many times I think hopefully everyone can relate to this. You go into a store, you don't know what you're looking for, you're having a bad day or whatnot. One good interaction with one of the people who work in the store can really change your day. Maybe not only is it my career now, but hey, I'm really good at it too, right? So I should be proud of it. Exactly. And sometimes you don't discover that you're good at it until you are around others who are also good at it. And then you find this kind of tribe, whatever word you want to use, and you say, like, this is really incredible. Like, this is a business, of course, it's a multi-million dollar business, but we really do have positive impact. Um, and I remember even my, my Apple years um, these were like iPhone 2 and I launched the iPad and, and some big product launches, but it was never about selling product. It still isn't at Apple. It's about enhancing your life through technology and what that can do for you. And if that's your mindset every day is I'm going to show up with the only intent is to enhance and enrich people's lives through technology. It's a great place to start your day. It really is. And we talk, especially recently, a lot about how good customer experience is born from a good employee experience, which is a really important topic for leaders right now. How do you see this translating to those frontline workers in retail? And what do retail leaders really need to hear right now to improve their employee experience? 
First and foremost, I think after the last couple of years, it's every retail leader needs to have the ability to demonstrate empathy like they've never done before and gratitude. And gratitude, most importantly, demonstrated in person if possible. If it has to be on a Zoom call, sure. But what I think has happened is because most corporate offices for major retailers are not back in the office, that stores aren't seeing them as much. Mm-hmm. So when I was mm-hmm. you know, running, running Intermix until last year, you know, the office is right here in New York City in the heart of Bryant Park. And I would say to 150 people in the office, like, I'm going to be at Madison Avenue tomorrow morning, 9 a.m. Before you come to the office, meet me at the store and talk to the team, hear what's going on. Let's capture product feedback. I mean, we are the leaders in kind of brand and trend being ahead of that. And that feedback comes directly from the stores. So the more time you can then go back into the store, go back and ask questions, say thank you, lead with empathy, um, not with the intent of calling anything out or talking about business, just listen. Listen and then have kind of the spirit of action of what can I do for you? I'm in service to those around me, not the other way around. Mm -hmm. As a senior leader, even if I would show up with you know, 15 people in, in a entourage, as they love to call it. <laughs> it was never about this is the Ron show. This is about who you are. How can I help you? We're all here to serve you. The reason I brought the entire team with me is because if you share what you need, everyone in this room can act and everyone can get things done faster for you by bringing people to you. And I think that all those answers, everything retail leaders need to know is actually right in front of you. And they're in the store. I couldn't agree more with Ron. I think it's so important, like you said, for the leadership of retail organizations to, to see that firsthand. I mean, that's where the rubber hits the road. And the store associates are on the front lines every day, and they, they are the best source of information to the leadership. Definitely. And I know, um, John, you talked about that the last time you were on, too. So I know you're, you're a big believer and kind of walk that talk. And kind of related to that, we hear a lot, unfortunately, every day about frontline retail workers and their challenges and, you know, some of the horror stories of what they have to deal with. But what are the bright moments that we don't hear about that we really should celebrate? This is a really important part of why I wanted to do Retail in America and get out and hear these stories. Because you're right, we we really only hear the tough ones. We see the videos on Instagram of horrible customers and getting in fights in stores. And that might seem entertaining, but it's actually, it negatively impacts the story around what it means to work in retail. And the more you see that or on a flight, like that gets all the likes because it's, it seems to be funny, but it's actually then discourages people from choosing a career that they could otherwise be very successful in if they think that's what happens. And so to answer your question, Kim, I get stories almost every day and I'm very kind of curious on LinkedIn about brands that are posting their teams and the energy that they have behind what they do. And there's an incredible amount of pride out there. And the stories that I hear, one just comes to mind because it, it just happened last week was a young manager um, from Bath and Body Works who was sharing this story that this kind of young girl, he didn't say, but I'm assuming very like four or five years old with her mom shopping in Bath and Body Works. And he said, do you mind if I like put some 
her hands were in her pockets. Would you mind if I put some like glitter lotion on her hands? And she pulled her hands out of her coat and her fingers were fused together. She had a disability and I think she was missing her thumbs. And he put this glitter, <clears throat> oof, makes me want to cry, um, glitter lotion on her hands. And she's like, look, mom, my hands are so pretty. And that stuff just gets me every time. And that the power of retail and the experiences that you can create are so magical. <clears throat> Sorry, it just chokes me up. Well, it's great. You can have a direct impact on people's lives. I think that is such a great story, Ron. Yeah, thank you. I was going to say, it doesn't translate to e-commerce and it doesn't translate to digital. So many retailers try and over time, and I'm sure you've both seen this, like we need to recreate the in-store experience online. There's just a natural barrier to that. And I think that's why retail is so rich or can be so rich and can be so rewarding because we hear so much about e-commerce, but still most of the dollars are coming from in-store and that's where the real connection is made. That's a good point because most of the conversation is about really more from a product standpoint that you can touch and feel the products in store versus e-com. But when it comes to the actual physical and personal connections, there's, you can't replicate that, as you said. Yeah. Now that does, though, lead me to my next question. Shifts in retail trends, e-commerce and omni-channel and in-store pickup and all of these things that existed before the pandemic, of course, but certainly there's a catalyst to that. How has that impacted the in-store retail professionals and how have you both seen digital transformation play a role in the day-to-day of store operations and really enabling employees to provide better customer service? So what I would say, Kim, in many ways, this has made the in-store job even harder because it's additional workload that they didn't have before. So for example, maybe your brand didn't have a, a curbside pickup channel. Now, not only are you serving people in the store that are walking in, you're also serving people as they pull up. You're also finding new ways to do mobile POS checkout. As the e-commerce business grows, in many cases, a lot of those orders are filled from stores, certainly in the fashion space, non-consumer products, but where there's limited quantities, often that product's in a store. And so then now they're filling more web orders. The other thing that happens E-commerce return rates are 40, 50% on average, where in store, it's usually under 10. So now you've got an increase in e-commerce orders and a high return rate, which if you have a local store is coming back to the store. So then you're, you're also kind of this return process center. So you have just more workload. A lot of great brands have said, you know, let's reinvent what payroll looks like, store structure, You know, what does back of house operations need to look like? How can we maybe do live e-commerce selling from the store during closed times? How can we invest more into chat functions so that some of that kind of human engagement on e-commerce can happen from a store? That's happening in many different parts of the industry. And it's all really positive because it gets you closer to the customer and closer to the store and creating that more human experience. It just requires money and investment back in stores, which I've not always seen. And you see it, unfortunately, when it's gone wrong and you walk in and you see this pile of returns behind the counter where you can tell that you know, they're trying to get some work done and the phone's ringing and the chat's coming through from the website and people are walking in the door and their shipment coming through. Like that's a day in retail. You know what? <laughs> 
I'm going to figure this out. I've got a great team around me and we're going to make sure that the best expression of the brand is under your control. But that power, again, kind of putting back into the store and saying, the person who has the biggest impact here on the customer experience is the store manager of that building and how they balance all of that work. And that some of those dollars should go back into that store, supporting that store manager, supporting the work that they have now been asked to do that two years ago they weren't doing. It's just made their job bigger and more complex. Absolutely. John, have you seen anything along those lines? Any trends one way or the other? Yeah, I mean, a lot of it has to do with just the ability, at least over the past you know year and a half with all that's been going on, is the ability to operationalize the, the changes needed to serve consumers, customers in a different way. And there are some great example, examples of companies who have done just that, but it still gets back down to the employees themselves and the, being able to redeploy people and help them you know, refine their skill sets to move from a, a store position to a pick and packer or someone who's going to be delivering packages and, and bags to curbside to meet the needs of not only the customer, but for the, the business itself. So it, it's an interesting thing to see how how quickly the employees in the store adapted to these changes. And of course, with good leadership as well, but it just goes to show you that it's a very quickly changing environment. And a lot of the employees are just up to the task of, of meeting those needs. It's great to see. You know, we talk a lot about innovation on the podcast, and I know I've seen some examples, uh, but I'd love to hear from both of you some examples where you've seen our retail professionals really drive innovation in retail and across the brand, across the organization because of these changes. I mean, we talk a lot about, Ryan, your point about empathy and gratitude, but leaders saying, well, why don't my in-store associates follow these policies and procedures? Well, there's probably a really good reason if you asked, and I bet they have a really good idea on how to solve the issue that they're working around. (laughs) And that ends up being some pretty cool innovation in that space. But what have you guys seen? What it would be for me is that I just came off of spending three days at at NRF, the big National Retail Federation conference here in New York. And prior to 2022, I would attend as a retailer, like looking for new ideas, looking for new innovation, things that could help my brand. And you can watch all the keynotes and you know it's engaging. You know, this year, I'm on the other side where I'm doing book signings and I'm talking about retail in America and, and a different energy. And it was a different energy this year. But what really struck me is that the people who attend those conferences are often senior or always senior leadership decision makers people who are looking, who know what the company needs and are looking for a solution. And when I would look around, I would say, well, why aren't there more store managers here or district managers or regional managers or field leadership? Because I think to answer your question about driving innovation, sometimes they don't even know what exists because they don't have access to it. Mm-hmm. And they don't know that there's a solution that's been created somewhere in the world and it's in the innovation center at NRF and you meet them and you're like, oh my God, this is exactly what we need. But unless someone gives you the opportunity to learn and be a student of the industry, then innovation becomes hard because you only know as much as sometimes the brand teaches you or like what you might read about in industry press. But my experience has been through the brands that I've led is you kind of get singularly focused on that brand. 
mm-hmm. and don't always have great innovation. So I'm really pitching of like, maybe we have a discounted you know, part of NRF that is also for store level leadership that can come in and see some of these really important people on stage that today are also being watched by really important people. And how do you change the audience and get more people excited about innovation and retail and bring that back to their brands? And maybe that brand can't do it, but you become a student of innovation. And the next company you go to work for is doing that work and they're doing fun things and they're making investments that have never been made before. Uh, And I, I would certainly like to change that. Those are all really great points. I like the the comment about student of innovation. And you're right, as much as we talk about innovation, there's always the catch-22. You have to invest to innovate. You have to prove that there's a return on innovation. You got to start somewhere. So I, I, I like that idea. John, what about you? I agree with Ron that it, it has to be a two-way conversation and having access to more events and information that you know we take for granted. Uh, I, I attend a lot of these conferences as well. But Ron is right. You don't see a lot of store employees or mid-level managers who would really benefit from that type of content. But also, there, I think there's a need for uh, the leadership of, of retailers to be constantly in the stores. And Ron mentioned that before. And I, I think it's, it's not only exciting for the employees to, to get the attention, but it's also a learning opportunity for management as well. And one company that just stands out to me over the past you know, year and a half is, has been the Tractor Supply Company. And they have had been in the press a lot and they've received a lot of coverage because of the constant interaction between the senior management and employees at all store levels, making those visits, talking to the employees, hearing what they have to say. And a lot of those ideas bubble up to the the senior management. And and that's what really helps influence the change that's necessary within companies. And there are many more that I I, I mentioned, but that's just one that stands out that it's been a, a concerted effort by management to have a much more direct relationship with those who make the difference in the stores. Mm-hmm. That's great. Yeah. And Kim, I would just add in a, an example from NRF, which is where this really was so exciting for me, was um, Sharonda Weatherspoon run is the senior vice president of Ralph Lauren for both full price and outlet. And she brought two of her regional managers with her. And Sharonda and I met at a conference last year and fell in love with each other. And she's like, what is retail pride? Like, what is this? And then I was like, here's a copy. She's like, oh my God, like you have to come and speak to Ralph Lauren. But more importantly, she brought these managers, one gentleman who runs Canada, another woman who runs the Midwest. Think about the size of their businesses. Ralph Lauren in Canada, hundreds of millions of dollars, if not more. And they were like kids in a candy store. So I met them and I'm like, wait, I need to show you this. I take them over to a booth. Like this brand is doing retail workforce on demand, developing this platform. They're in pilot in Austin and they're doing great things. Ralph Lauren signing a pilot, you know, for the outlet store in San Marcos to test this. An idea they were like, their minds were blown. Like it doesn't happen unless we all work together. We're all sharing our knowledge. We're all thinking about new ideas and bringing everyone along in the journey and digging as to the deepest level of retail. And the great ideas come from stock rooms. They come from warehouses. They come from the sales floor. That's where all the magic is really happening. It's so the vision casting that's so exciting on, on everyone's part. It's like instead of looking back, you have to look to the future, right? Yes. Now more than ever, I think most most leaders and frontline workers would say that. And John, 
Why was it important for Spotify to sponsor retail across America? What can listeners look forward to? And what's your perspective as the the retail representative there? That's a really good question. I would say that, first of all, you know, Spotify takes great pride in enabling creators from across the globe to have a voice and allow them to develop audiences for their particular interests. So this is just a great example with Ron and his coverage of the retail industry that you know, not only will he, will he be using you know, tools from our platform to, you know, to record his podcast series while he's traveling across the country, but he's also going to be adding relevant music playlists and things that really reflect the regional flavor of all the places he, he's visited. So it's a great example of how you know, creators are using all the resources to, to really share their voice and, and build an audience. But able, you know, enabling cultural connections, I would say, for our listeners is just a key tenet of, of the Spotify mission. And uh, as being a representative of the advertising side of Spotify, I would say the same holds true in our support of the industries and, and the advertisers who, uh, who partner with Spotify. I know firsthand, having been spent a large majority of my career, I know the rich culture that lies within you know, retail organizations and, and all the store employees and the management that brings this experience to life, all the, the rich shopping experience. And this impacts people every day. So I just agree with Ron that, that these stores need to be elevated and told to a broader audience. And that's why you know, Spotify has joined this sponsorship, because we think it's so important to get the word out about the, the retail industry and what it means to people who are actually in the stores and in management. Yeah, and Kim, I'm I'm incredibly grateful for Spotify's you know advertising's partnership here because exactly that the bigger the message can become about the importance of this industry, the celebration of the industry, people who are kind of early in their career and not sure if this is a direction they want to go have not seen great role models or heard about people in the industry because there isn't a resource you know, for them. Retail Pride was really one of the first and only books ever written directly for people who work in stores. This is not about changing the industry. This is about celebrating you and encouraging you to be intentional about your career. And Spotify can just help elevate that to an even further bigger audience. And that makes me really excited. That's great. Well, Ron Thurston, John Gregory, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm anxious to see how the retail pride movement grows and thrives. And Ron, we'll be on the lookout for you coming to our cities in your Airstream. I hope everybody can come visit and learn from you firsthand. Thank you. It's all on uh, retailpride.com, the cities and the dates and where the podcast and the playlist that John mentioned, it will all be housed on retailpride.com and on, on other platforms. I actually hope to catch up with Ron on a few of his stops in the the upcoming ones. So (laughs) more to report on that. (laughs) We'll have you back at the end of the tour so that we can hear about the tour part two. (laughs) John may want to do it himself, like (laughs) live on campgrounds. Maybe so inspiring or not. We'll see. (laughs) It was my childhood. It sounds like fun. (laughs) Well, thank you so much. And uh, safe travels. We'll hear from you again. Thank you, Kim. Thank you. Now it's time for our namesake segment, what if, so what, and most importantly, now what? Hey, Jim. Hey, Kim. So while we focused on the retail industry for the bulk of this conversation, I think everything discussed applies to general employee experience and how leaders need to, I'm using air quotes here, level up in this area. What were your takeaways? Yeah, thanks, Kim. I think you and I were both sort of 
triggered by the same thing, I think, as we, as we heard <laughs> these stories. And I think it positively, positively triggered. But yes. I think it was, you know, Ron sort of set that tone right in the beginning when he talked uh, about his grandfather. He told that story about his grandfather. First of all, I love Lake Tahoe. So I was just dreaming about Lake Tahoe. <laughs> but, you know, he had a construction company and, you know, he managed these crews and crew members all up and down the West Coast. And, and I just thought that was really a, sort of an iconic leadership story. It was uh, obviously applies to you know, human interaction and understanding your customers, but really your, your team members, your colleagues, and the people around you. So it, it really was an iconic leadership story, almost mythical in, in some way, and really sort of the epitome of, I think, what we want our leaders to be. So I think mm-hmm. just o- opening that right away, I think, set the tone for the whole interview, for, for the whole point of view. And mm-hmm. the second part that really stuck out to me was his observation that for many people, you know, the journey into retail is, is accidental, right. which really led me to a, a couple of thoughts right away. First, I wondered how many of us landed in all of our careers accidentally, not just retail, <laughs> right, or jobs. And I was going, you know, you're just going back to my sort of limited frontline experience in retail, which when, you know, I was probably 16. But, you know, when you're, you're young, you're starting out in your, your first job, right? You're just trying to make a couple bucks. You know, you can buy a record, you know, or go out with your friends or something. And, you know, it's really kind of almost not realistic, right, to think that you would know what you're going to do. And in fact, I, I was just maybe timely. LinkedIn just announced, I think this week, the option for career breaks. I or at least saw I just that. saw that. Yeah. It's great. And so it's sort of an acknowledgement that, you know, how would you know that? How would you know what you wanted to do anyway? It's just impossible. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, a lot of times we just don't know what we're getting into until we get into it. And to give retail a break, I think a lot of people don't know what they're doing until they're doing it. I have a friend who ran an agency for years, and then he, he joined one of the preeminent analyst firms in the world, and he, he hated it. He said it was like working a help desk. So just <laughs> didn't know until he got there. On the positive side, though, I found out I've, I've known engineers who felt boxed in, they're under stressful deadlines, or it was kind of a grind. And they got into sales and they loved it, you know, and it's total career change. So I, I think a lot of people start out accidentally and I think that's okay. So I just think that was, that really stuck out to me. Again, you're just, you're just sort of starting out. And again, you start a lot, a lot of those, a lot of us may have started out in retail. As I reflected on my experience, I think that sort of elevated a second point for me that not only do you not sure what you're getting into, but maybe you don't really understand the value that you're bringing in that role. Right. And that's what I really thought was spectacular, actually, in the interview. And I think something we all need to think about, you know, whether you're starting out, whether you're in retail or not, a lot of times you're in a frontline state, you're a customer for somebody and you have a customer and you're the person they interact with. You know, you, you could be the definition of the brand and the experience. You could be provide, whether you're you know, providing a product or a service, you're taking their money. POS is not just a system. If you're sort of digitally minded, it's the point of sale. It's how the whole business operates. It's how it, it stays afloat. But for a young person, you're learning how to deal with the public for the first time, how to communicate, how to interact, how to read a room, you know, how to work as a team. And I think all those things for me, and I think for you, as we, we kind of contemplated the interview, it's really a special place or a special role to understand where the, all the value is being created. You know, and, and, and I think Ron really and, and John really punctuated that. It's the best source of information. As we talk about innovation and we talk about you know, the role of omni-channel, anything, it still is and probably will be for a long time 
the best source of information of how to grow a business and and build a customer relationship. So I think there's a lot there. There was a lot we were able to pick up on. I agree. I, I thought it was really rich conversation, and it's always fun for me to do the deeper dive into retail. But I think, like I said at the beginning, everything we heard can be and should be applied across all of our teams today. I think Ron's point about leaders needing to demonstrate empathy and gratitude now more than ever mm-hmm. is a big takeaway. It's it's easy to say, and I think you know there's a lot of lip service paid to that when we talk about employee experience. But I think his examples of you know his leadership role and his experience getting into the stores and talking to those frontline workers is a really good example of you need to actually be in that context and hear those suggestions in order to demonstrate you know gratitude and empathy. I think that was really important. Right. Like you said, frontline workers have the closest connection to customers, but to Ron's point, they're very rarely involved in strategic planning. They're the ones making or breaking the customer relationships, but without a both formal and informal channels to provide those learnings and suggestions up to leadership, they're sort of out of the loop um, to a brand's detriment. And I think the other thing that kind of came out and my takeaway was just the importance of change impact analysis relative to how frontline workers can better inform innovative thinking. I think the impact of change is still vastly underestimated, if not completely ignored in a lot of digital initiatives. I know part of the battle we play every day is convincing organizations that they actually need to consider the, the impact of change and some of what they're doing. Right. And Ron's point of view of some of these digital tools in retail making in-store work more complicated and difficult is a really great example of that. Mm-hmm. Change costs are frequently not factored in and they can really torpedo an initiative that's meant to be transformative. And I, and I, I maintain those frontline workers still have the best perspective on how to service their customers the best, but also how to really leverage all these digital investments a brand has made. So I feel like just a lot of big takeaways and you know, so many places we could take this topic for the what if, so what, now what. But Jim, what, what's your what if here? Well, I think just building on everything you said and, and we heard, I think and we've heard a lot about this term, frontline worker. Right, right. I don't know that it's brand new, but you know, it's certainly that's something that came to prominence in the pandemic for obvious reasons, and um, or essential workers, or mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, I think if we sort of expand that thought a little bit, my what if would be what if we could all become or we could all be frontline workers. You mentioned, can we do that job? I think of that TV show, Undercover Boss. They always put the CEO in this horrible <laughs> situation where they have to, you know, operate some machinery and, you know, comedy ensues. But if we sort of expand the idea of a frontline worker as somebody who's providing the value, again, you know, whether at the point of sale, whether they're at home, you know, whether they're answering a call, whether they're behind a laptop, you know, what if we could all adopt? the empathy for customers, the empathy for the team members and understanding of the work and really create a bi-directional channel. And this is not new around empathy. We've talked about empathy a lot. So Kim, if, if, you, if you agree with that hypothesis, what if we could all be like frontline workers, then, then so what? What would that really give us in terms of advantage as leaders, as, as colleagues? Well, I think it would actually give organizations great strength and benefit and insight into what it really takes to be customer-centric. 
what it really takes to do the ground truth work of delivering on customer experience. My so what, and this is kind of where my head is at, is like, well, as a leader, you know, let's say in the retail space, I can't be in the store every day. Right. That's something where I should be spending a lot of my time, but I can't be. I have other things that I need to take care of as a leader. So my so what is, you know, asking the question, how can an organization make more significant cultural shifts to get those customer facing roles more involved in organizational strategy? And there's no prescription here. I think it's got to be a different approach that works for every organization, every brand, every culture. But I think leaders need to figure out how to tap into that knowledge, that depth and breadth of knowledge that to your earlier point and Tehran's point, maybe even our frontline workers don't realize they have. They don't realize the value they hold and the leaders need to help them understand that and and then really work together. And extract it, right, in a way. And right? extract yeah. it, yes, yeah. yes, yeah. And, and work together to really make those improvements. And then relative to that, I, I would say the so what here is how do you hold leaders accountable for some measure of empathy and gratitude as it translates to your employee team's recruiting, retention, project success? You know, it's, it's not enough to say thank you and take ideas and then, you know, try and execute them in the, you know, leadership levels. There has to be some accountability and I think engagement with your your teams, your frontline worker teams to say, okay, th- these are the ideas we took, your ideas, here's how we executed them, here's the results of those ideas. Now you tell me, what else can we do to, you know, mm-hmm. fuel the success or address anything that isn't working out the, the way that we planned? I think there's just that nice feedback loop between the frontline and leadership that is broken right now. And I think that's mm-hmm. so what is, you know, how do we make that happen if we really do want to all be these frontline workers? But if that's the case, what are some action items? What are next steps? What can leaders really do to make that happen, do you think? I'll lead up to this, Kim, because I think it does start with, with culture, like a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Here's what mm-hmm. I see. Assuming culture is established, I think a lot of companies get it. A lot of organizations get it. They understand they do need this at a high, at, at a high level. They don't, they're not sure how to get there or where to spend the time right? or what to do when you get there. And I think that's where the challenge is. So assuming that the culture's there, and I do believe that if you talk to most leaders, they'll, they'll say, of course, I want to know what my customers want. I think they believe that. I really, I really think that they do for the most part. But the question I think is how to get it. And so I was kind of drawn back to this philosophy, this Japanese philosophy called the Gemba. And the Gemba, I think it literally translated to mean the actual place or the place where something happens. Retail is such a great, like striking example. The Gemba is the shop floor. It's the point of sale. It's on the floor talking to the customer. This is where the primary value is, is occurring, but it applies to lots of things. Again, not, not really a new term. It's sort of been Americanized into what's called MBWA, management by walking around. So I don't know if people have heard of that. <laughs> right. it's, a, it's, it's, kind of, it's kind of funny. How does that apply today? Because I don't have anywhere to go but my kitchen. In the office environment, you're walking around. You know, and in, and in, the, in the factory environment, and I spent some time at Whirlpool doing this. Like, we, yeah, It's the same thing. You walk out on the shop floor. You're seeing the assembly line. You're seeing the manufacturing floor. A lot of applications of this, actually back to Japan, they use it as the crime scene, you know, they, is, is a Gemba, 
which is kind of morbid, but it sort of makes sense in terms of it's a place you go to understand what the heck is happening here or what happened. And so I still love that idea. You know, I mentioned Undercover Boss. That's sort of a gemba. There's a movie I love called Up in the Air with George Clooney. They come up with this way of, it's kind of ahead of its time, this way of, if you guys, anybody's seen it, I don't want to spoil anything, but they want to do video conferencing for letting people go. And George Clooney's job, his career is about, he's the guy that does the dirty work, but he's great at it. You know, he makes him, makes people feel good about losing their job. And then they want to change this, but they have to go there to see how this happens. So I think there's a million applications for this. And I think that's why I love it because whether you're in retail or not, if you're manufacturing or not, you know, if you're, if whatever industry you're in, again, a lot of companies do this. That assumes the culture's there, but I think it's something everybody can do. And then the next step would be, what do you do about it? There are a lot of techniques, management by walking around, skip level meetings, even testing is a sort of a, a form of the gamba. If you think about it, you know, we're going to have an episode coming up around user research and testing. So, you know, I think there's ways for managers and even just peers to understand what they're doing from a internal customer perspective or customer service perspective to do that same sort of inquiry. And I think people will find something they don't understand, didn't know about, or they can challenge something they thought you understood. And again, it goes a long way towards empathy. It goes a long way towards aligning priorities and leadership. And I just, like I said, I think something, it's a habit that we could build into our leadership repertoire to make sure that we have the finger on the pulse and we really get it. So that's my advice for today. Go to the Gamba. I think that's a good Noah. I, I'm not going to go with your movie recommendations. I think we need to hold off on that. I, th- I found that movie incredibly depressing. <laughs> There's got to be a better example, but I, well, I think it's a good, it's a good reference uh, for what uh, you're talking under, about. Here. Undercover Boss is, I'm sure it's out. It's pretty hilarious. So there's, there's a little more, uh, there's a little more humor. Yeah, you're right. It's a little dark. I hope there's a little dark, but uh, we'll, we'll work on that reference. Yeah, I hope that's uh, something we can do. And by the way, you know, as a, as a colleague, you know, I think there was uh, just some great advice for me. I mean, you really challenged my, my own thinking right here, you know, in, in our roles. So I appreciate that. Well, good. And uh, next episode will come with some better movie recommendations. And, and I think we'll keep coming back to this, this notion of empathy and understanding and challenging what we think we understand and questioning, you know, what we don't just in order to be better leaders and to ultimately be better positioned and more successful in our transformation. But thanks again to Ron Thurston and John Gregory for joining us. By the way, be on the lookout for the Retail Pride Tour in your city. We'll include the link to that tour information in our show notes. And check out Ron's podcast, Retail in America, especially for those folks who are working in retail right now who think, you know, it was a mistaken career. Uh, I think Ron's comments about you're probably really good at it. Keep doing it. It makes all the difference to customers, especially today. And thanks to everyone for listening. Please rate and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. And until next time, keep asking what if, so what? And most importantly, now what? You've been listening to What If, So What, the digital strategy podcast from Proficient with Jim Hertzfeld and Kim Chopek. We want to thank our Proficient colleague, J.D. Norman, for our music today. Subscribe to the podcast and don't miss a single episode. You can find this season along with show notes at Proficient.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.